thank you for being here. Um, man, I'm just so excited about the Word. I'm so excited about the things that Father is speaking to us. And, um, you know, <clears throat> like the years that we talked about the fear of the Lord and the years that we talked about, you know, humility, and there's, there's different things that, that the Lord has led us to. And, um, you know, we've talked about righteousness and some of those big subjects and and um, it's kind of sad to me that, that for some people it almost seems anticlimactic to be, you know, devoting so much time and effort to a series on, on knowing Jesus. But that really is what we're talking about. And, and I, I'm telling you, um, I'm convinced that there's nothing more important. He's the key to it all. Amen. We all exist because of Him. We all exist for Him. We all exist through Him, and if you've been born again, you exist in Him. Amen. Um, everything that was created was created by Him. Nothing that was made was made without Him. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Him. I had a great conversation with my first cousin yesterday, Brent, and we were just talking about how the Lord teaches you things. and. He'll teach you things from the Word. He'll teach you things about computer engineering. He'll teach you things about electrical engineering. He'll teach you things about art and creativity and physics and all that stuff. I mean, he, listen, Jesus knows all of that. He knows things that people haven't discovered yet. Amen. And He's helping people discover things all the time. So again, in Him, all wisdom, all knowledge, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the fulfillment of every dream, all of these things, they're in Christ. They're in Him. They're in Him. Amen. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, but just please let me say this. All right, One of the things that I think has a lot of people confused in our day is that we think wanting His help is the same thing as wanting Him, and it's not. It's not. There's a lot of people that want His help, but not necessarily want Him. And as we said last Sunday night, you know, He's a person. He's not just an entity somewhere, you know, far removed in outer space. But he's a person. He has a full spectrum of emotions, just like you have a full spectrum of emotions. And, um, and so this idea that, you know, we just want his help, we just want what he can do for us, but aren't really interested in him. Some folks, listen to me now, I'm not trying to, you know, backpedal this. Some folks, that's all they want because that's all they've been told is available. You know, that if, you know, best you can hope for is get, get Jesus to help you a little bit, you know, and not send you to hell, forgive you for your sins, and, and let you into heaven one day. And, and um, there's a lot of people who've settled for that. There's a lot of people, that's all that they're interested in. And, and, and then there's a lot of folks that would be interested in more if somebody would explain to them that there is more available. And so we're just talking about knowing Jesus this year. You know, one of the things that the Lord spoke to us some 20 years ago when Heritage Christian Center began is, you know, basically keep it simple. You know, you've heard me say this over and over again. I'm not going to go through it all. But, you know, do God's thing and do it God's way and expect God's results. And that our, our aspirations, our, our purpose, you know, is to know Him and then to make Him known. Amen. To know Him, and then to make Him known. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, 
our life is hid in Christ and then we reflect Him, you know, imitators of God as dear children is, is, is what we're instructed to do. And, you know, let's say, let's say tonight that I was wanting to make Todd Ivy known to every person in this building. Well, the better I know him, the better position I would be in to make him known to everybody in here. If I just met him 10 minutes ago, then, you know, how in the world would I make him known to everybody in here? But we've known each other for some time now. We've shared personal things. I've, I've let him into my life. He's let me into his. We've talked about our children. We've talked about our fathers. We've talked about the different pastors in our lives over the years that have helped us and impacted us. We've talked about our moms and how praying mothers and what the role they've played in our lives. So there's lots of things that we've shared. So if I wanted to make Todd Ivey known to you tonight, I could, I could do a pretty good job. But even then, there are things about him, you know, that, that I don't know. The other day in class, John Smith was talking about his dad um, helping children his whole life, children who were handicapped and disabled and, and things. And John says, I know I've told you all that before. And I'm like, we're all in the class going, uh, no, John, you never told us that, buddy. You know, that's amazing. You know, we didn't know it. Um, so again, I, you see, I found out something about him that I didn't know before. Now I just told everybody in here that. So... <clears throat> You know, when Jesus prayed in John 17, we see that the primary ministry focus of the church is so that the world may know, you know, that, that God the Father sent Jesus into the world, that the world may know that Jesus came to this earth and has offered salvation and the kingdom and all these things to us. So making him known is our primary responsibility as far as ministry is concerned. But our effectiveness in doing that is based upon knowing Him. How, how can we effectively represent, represent someone to the world that we know very little about? Amen. Amen. So when it comes to human beings who made Jesus known on planet Earth, you know, Paul is right up there with the best of them. Um, you know, I don't know, statistically speaking, if, you know, there's no, only heaven has those records. But I would dare say there's very few people who have done more to make Jesus known, the true Jesus, the real Jesus known on planet earth than the Apostle Paul. And I think that coincides directly with, I believe, few people knew Jesus the way the Apostle Paul knew him and the way he walked with him. And the way he walked very closely with him. Amen. Now, Paul is talking about this in his own life here in Philippians chapter 3. When um, he gives us his response, as we've referred to this as his new life resolution. He said, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. I'm not talking about getting saved. He's talking about experiencing in his life reality the oneness that he has with Jesus because of his new birth and then experiencing and enjoying that fellowship with him on a daily basis. I feel compelled one more time, and I know some of you have heard this, so it's, it's watering it, not planting it. 
But Paul is talking about a progressive knowing Him. Just like any relationship that you would have with another person is progressive in nature. It begins with an introduction, an acquaintance, knowing about, to sharing more and more of your life with that individual, to where you become comfortable with that person. Um, And then we said that there's one last step, and that's when you become so close with someone that you're uncomfortable when they're not with you. So you go from maybe the introductory phase of a relationship where you're awkward in that person's company, but the more time you spend, the more effort you put towards the relationship that relationship builds, eventually you become very comfortable with one another. And then some of the highest or deepest forms of relationships are those where this person has become so close to you that now you're uncomfortable if they're not with you. And that is, again, what is available to us. Amen. Uh, Brother Donald, I I mentioned our conversation a couple of Sunday nights ago this morning. I want to mention it again while you're here tonight. And Brother Donald was talking about, you know, how the word relationship is too vague. And, um, you know, I have a relationship with the federal government. Some of you in here have or have had in the past a relationship with the judicial system. Amen. So when we talk about relationships, you know, again, so what we're really talking about with our Heavenly Father is oneness and, and the fellowship that we can enjoy with Him because of that oneness. Amen. So really, we're talking about fellowship. God created us to have fellowship with Himself. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to be able to enjoy the same fellowship with the Father that He has with the Father. So these are the things that are available to you and me that enable us, amen, to press, you know, onward. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about later in Philippians 3, is he's going after this prize. And the prize is is not some level of success. The prize is not, you know, uh, writing one more uh, book of the Bible or preaching Jesus on one more uh, continent to people who've never heard him. All those things are important. And certainly Paul was pressing and striving and was driven to do these things. But he recognized that the prize was not some attaining of some accomplishment or some earthly recognition or even some earthly reward, but that the prize was Jesus. The prize was Jesus. And knowing him and walking in that oneness with him. Amen? I want to, man, I, I've got a lot of notes tonight, but I just really um, thought that this was for another time, but I just, it just keeps jumping back up in my spirit. So I want us to do something here, if we could, for a moment. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's turn there, if we could. <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul looked at his life. And realized that there were some things that had to go. There were some things that he no longer had time for. There were things that he once thought he could not live without that now he realized were actually a negative in his life, not necessarily because they were bad or wrong, 
but they were a negative in his life because those things, those endeavors, those investments of his time and resources were not contributing to a closer walk and a closer experience of this oneness and this fellowship with Jesus. Now, when we talk about being born again, the Bible says, of course, in John 3, 16, well, John, the third chapter leading up to verse 16, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born a second time. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, we see that we've been born a second time, not of the corrupted seed of Adam, but of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And without taking 30, 40 minutes on this tonight, just know that the new birth is not a figurative experience. You know, sometimes we say that a person turned over a new leaf. And I think sometimes we put being born again into the category of turning over a new leaf. And my friend, that's simply not the case. The new birth is a literal experience. Your spirit becomes born again. The old you is buried in an unmarked grave and the new you comes forth from the womb of death, not only new, but having been made one with God's spirit. And the Bible says we were raised up with him in Romans 6 to, to newness of life. So if you could peel back the outer shell of a person, the flesh of a person who's been born again and look into them, you would see that there's something entirely different about the heart or the inward part of a person who's been born again compared to a person who has not been. So again, it's not something imaginative or figurative, but it's literal. It is a literal new birth. And through that new birth, we become one with God. This is the vital, um, I'm sorry, the legal side that we talk about. It's what God does for you. And this is where he makes us righteous. This is where he reconciles us, restores us back into right standing, right relationship with him. And this provides the foundation. This provides the basis. This provides the access. This provides the potential. This provides the opportunity for you to walk in oneness, in harmony, in fellowship with Jesus. Remember, it's what He desires, it's what He created you for, and then it's what He recreated you for in Christ Jesus. It's why you were born again for this fellowship, for this oneness, for this harmony that's now been made available to us. I don't, I don't know if we're going to get there tonight, but, but please, we mentioned this morning, let me mention it again. The reason... We are the ones who need to evaluate and sacrifice things in our life to draw closer to Him is because He's already sacrificed everything on His side of the relationship that separated Him from, from us, Him from you. There's nothing holding Him back. If anything is holding us back, it's on our side of the relationship, not on His side. He's, he has no reservations where you're concerned. We are the ones who, has, who have reservations where He's concerned. And of course, these are the things. This is, this is about growing in this relationship, growing progressively, knowing Him more deeply and more intimately. Now, I've often used the example of, you know, I was, I was born from David Winslet's seed, physically born of his seed. And we resemble one another. 
we have, our hair is almost identical. You know, I mean, it's, if I was to ask you to pick out who my dad is in this room, if you didn't know, you could probably figure it out pretty quick, right? And there is nothing that can change the truth that I am his son because I was born of his seed. Now, I could deny him. I could move halfway around the world, never speak to him again. And one day somebody could find my body in a ditch and not know who I was and pull blood out of my veins and I would still be his son. Amen. Now, what I want to mention to you tonight then is where does sin fit into all of this for the born-again believer? We have a tendency to put sin in the context of right or wrong, heaven or hell. In other words, can, can I still do this and go to heaven? How much can I get away with and not go to hell? Is this bad? Is this wrong? Does the Bible say anywhere in here, thou, thou shalt not smoke Marlboros or eat dozens of donuts? We're, you know, we're looking for this, right? Because we want, we want to know these things. We, we want to understand these things. And yet, in the Old Testament, that's very clear. It's very cut and dry. Do this, you're cursed. Do this, you're blessed. But Jesus changed all of that. We don't live under that old agreement anymore. We don't live under that old arrangement anymore. And this is what Paul said things like this. He said, all things are now lawful for me. There's nothing that is wrong or sin or illegal for me. Now again, folks are like, what in the world? He's talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. He said, all things are are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Not all things are wise. Now I want you to see how much God believes in you. How much He loves you and how much He trusts you. He's not holding hell over your head. He's not threatening you with eternal damnation. He's made you His son or His daughter, and now He's wanting you to begin your life, begin to live your life, not based upon heaven or hell, right or wrong, good or bad, but is this wise? How about this? Does this negatively or positively impact my fellowship with Jesus? That's the question we need to learn to ask. Not is it wrong to watch television, but will watching so much television positively or negatively impact my fellowship with Jesus? Do you see the difference there, right? If it positively impacts my fellowship with Jesus then what Paul is saying in Philippians 3 is, then we're going to do more of that. But if it negatively impacts my fellowship with him, we're going to avoid that altogether. We're going to, we're going to call it what it is. It's dung, it's rubbish, it's garbage, and, and it's no reason for me to waste my time on it anymore. Now, I'm not trying to preach legalism to you. Please hear me. So many times you go down this road, you know, especially folks that are, that are more in the ditch of religion than in the ditch of rebellion, Right? Boy, people in that religious ditch over there, they really try to gravitate towards this, you know. And, and I'm very familiar with that ditch. I, I lived a little while in it, all right? And, and so, you know, we think, well, we can't ever enjoy anything. We can't ever have any fun anymore, you know. I've even heard people say exercise is wrong because the Bible says bodily exercise profits little. No, 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 no. God created all things for us to richly enjoy. 
He didn't have to create a planet with turquoise water and white powder sand. But he did that for us to enjoy it. Did, so I'm not sitting here trying to hammer you, know, you into some kind of legalistic, religious mindset where you can't ever enjoy a ride on a mountain bike or you can't ever enjoy, you know, that's, please, that's our television program or any of that other stuff. So if, yes, if that's what you're hearing me say, you're not hearing me right. But it still comes back to, it still comes back to, does this add to or take away from my fellowship with the Lord? Amen. See, this is, this is where we are right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Man, there's a whole lot here. But let's, um, let's begin at verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Say new with me. Boy, that was weak. Say new with me. New. New. Amen. Now. If you read it tomorrow, what will it say? What about three days from today? It'll still say now, right? Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. That means to be restored into a right relationship with. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself now this next word, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That word imputing there, it's an accounting term. Um, you could say not reckoning. Or let's say it another way, he's not keeping account any longer. He's not keeping a record any longer. Now again, that's some folks, they start getting really nervous you start talking about this. Especially people who live under the fear of punishment to motivate them to try and live right. Which is a broken system, it's a broken approach. But what we see here is that Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. When he took away my sin, he took away all of my sin, past present, and future. As a matter of fact, 1 John says that because his seed that I was born again from, think of a seed as a, as a ah, praise God, a kernel of corn has the life of corn in it. Uh, in other words, a seed contains life. But in this case, the seed that I was born again from contains eternal life. It contains the eternal life and nature of God. And that seed now has, has been deposited in me. The seed I was born again from now abides in me. And the Bible says because his seed abides or remains in me, I cannot sin. Now I know that makes people nervous, but just please hear me. I cannot sin. Well, what is up with that? Jesus has dealt with your sin. Not in part, but in whole. Come on now. Rest in that. Rest in that. Do you realize 
that if you being in right standing and right relationship with him was dependent upon your behavior, it would never happen. The Bible says not only have you been made spotless, holy, it goes on to say that you are now above reproach. In other words, in God's eyes, you can't even be accused of doing something wrong or committing a sin. He won't even listen to an accusation that you did something wrong. I got the right bunch tonight. Say, well, Pastor Mark, why does the Bible say if we sin, we should confess our sin and he'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin because of the fellowship factor. Let's go back to my relationship with my dad. It's one thing to be born of his seed. It's another thing to enjoy, you know, a meal deal A with him on Monday afternoons at Taco Bell. Right? It's one thing to be born of his seed. It's another thing to enjoy being in his company and him enjoy being in mine. There's nothing I could ever do against my father that would make me no longer be his son, but there are all kinds of things that I could do against my father that would affect my fellowship with him. This is where we are now in the New Testament because of what Jesus has done for us. And John said, those who understand this, let's turn there, 1 John 3. Thank you, sweet Jesus. 1 John 3. You know, for the last three Sunday nights, I've come to the pulpit with a sermon and the Holy Spirit's taken a completely different direction. And I don't mind it one bit. I don't mind it one bit, but amen. This is where we are tonight. I hope you're getting something out of this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. 1 John 3, in verse number 1, it says this, Behold... Behold means take a look, check it out, slow down and consider. Spend a little while meditating on this. Spend a little while thinking about this. Don't just read over this. This is important. Behold, check out, take a long look, a long thoughtful look at what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. What does that mean the world does not know us because it did, it did not know Him? In other words, you've become something that this world can't produce. You've become something through the new birth that didn't originate from mankind. Remember what He said in John? He came to His own and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him, He gave them the power, the authority, the right, the privilege to be called sons of God who were born, not of the, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, not of blood, but were born of God. So we became something that this world doesn't know, this world doesn't understand because this, this world didn't produce it. This world didn't, didn't come up with it or, or develop it or create it. It's something that, that became a part of us and in us from another world. In the same way that Jesus came from another world, right? And they didn't know Him. Beloved, now... 
We are children of God. You know I'm going to ask you. You just want to go ahead and answer? What's it going to say tomorrow? Three days from today? 300 years from today? Beloved, now we are. Not something we're going to become if we go to church enough. Not something we're going to become if we play our religious cards right. Not something we become if we read the Bible through from cover to cover. Not something we're going to become if we go to Sunday school enough. Not something we're going to become if we go so many days without sinning or at least doing more good than we did bad. No, no. Through the new birth, the manner of love, because of His love, now we are children of God. And it only gets better from here. That's what he's saying. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we stand before him and see him as he is, at that point, we will see ourselves fully for who we are. Let me say it another way. For who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now listen to verse 3. And everyone who has this hope, this confident expectation in Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. What is he saying here? That it's not guilt and shame and fear and condemnation that motivate us to live right. What inspires us and motivates us to live right is the love that He has for us, the transformation that has already taken place inside of us, and an understanding of His commitment to us throughout all of eternity, that we are His children because of the manner of love with which He's loved us, and that He will not forsake us, that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to finish it, and the ones who have this hope in them, it causes you to, to establish your own boundaries in life. You don't need me to holler and scream and fuss at you. Tell you you're going to hell, threaten you with condemnation and punishment and bad things coming to your family. Get out of here. Get that junk out of here. There's no room for that in the New Testament church. So if he's, if he's not keeping a record of sin, he's already forgiven me for sin that I haven't yet committed. See, the the logical thing that the world comes up with and religion comes up with was the questions that they asked Paul in the book of Romans. So does that mean we can just live however we want to live? Does that mean we can go ahead and sin so that God can really enjoy himself by showing us grace for all the sin we commit? And Paul says, you are so confused. You know, we're having an adult conversation here. Would you, would you please just be quiet and listen, right? It's it. That was the childish mindset, right? But the reality of it is the hope that comes from knowing Him and understanding of the love that He has for us is the motivating factor in our lives. I'm not trying to bring something up painful because certainly we've all done things that we would prefer our parents not know about. You know, we've all done things that we, you know, amen, thank God it's under the blood nobody in this room has to know about unless, unless I was with you when you did it or something like that, you understand what I'm saying? But can you at least relate to this if you've never experienced it? Like, 
not doing something wrong because of your mama or your daddy. And did I just go out on a limb? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh man, you know, I, I get caught up in this mess. And Amen. You hearing me? Kept me out of a lot of trouble. You know, because I thought, man, you know, I get messed up in this and my mom and daddy find out or somebody else finds out, it's going to, it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt their reputation. It's going to make them look bad. It's going to make. Am I am I wrong or am I right? Do you follow what I'm saying? At least, thank you for those three Baptist nods and that one yes. Okay. <clears throat> That's a very small version of what he's talking about here. Paul said, <clears throat> "Everything is lawful for me now because I'm not under the law anymore." So does that mean he just went out and cut a fool every Friday night? No. What restrained him? What motivated him to stay away from sin? Well, perhaps it was because he realized he was free from sin and didn't have to do it and had a choice. But I believe it was more than that. I believe it was because he had placed such a high value in his life for fellowship with the one who had loved him so much. Joseph said it this way when a very powerful man's wife kept trying to seduce him and get him to sleep with her. And the Bible made it very clear. I mean, she waited till nobody else was in the house one day. Literally grabbed him and pulled his clothes off of him. And he ran out of that house from her, out of that. Yeah, he's a red-blooded Jewish male that has all kinds of desires and passions just like anybody else. But what did he say? He didn't say this is sin. He didn't say this is, this is wrong. He didn't say, um, you know, I'll be in a bunch of trouble if I get caught. He said, I can't do this to my Lord. I can't do this to my God. I, I, in other words, it, it wasn't... A, it wasn't <coughs> Sure, it was sin. Sure, it was breaking a commandment. Sure, he could have had his head cut off. All, he's a slave, for, for crying out loud. All those things. But it wasn't any of that. It wasn't even, I'm not saying that there wasn't that element of fear or concern or whatever, but that was not what he came out of his mouth. What came out of his mouth was, I've committed myself to a, to a God who loves me, and he's faithful to me, and I'm going to remain faithful to him. Do you, do you see the difference there? It's a foreshadowing, right, of what we now have in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to finish right here, okay? When we say the word relationship is too vague, do you realize that what most people call a relationship with God is really not a relationship with Him at all, but it's a relationship with the rules that he laid down in the Old Testament. Their relationship with him is more about trying to do what he said as opposed to knowing him and loving him. Let me tell you what knowing him will do for you where those commandments are concerned. Knowing him is how you will realize 
that the only reason he ever gave those commandments in the first place was for your best interest. He didn't command all those things because he was trying to make you a puppet on a string. He commanded all of those things because he knew if we went down those roads, it was going to lead to our pain, it was going to lead to our loss, and, and ultimately even our destruction, our death. Knowing him will help you understand that every word he has ever spoken where you are concerned has been with your best interest in mind. He only wants good for you. He only wants good for you. He only wants good for you. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Thank you, Jesus. You get anything out of this? <clears throat> so it's fellowship, right? It's a love relationship. It's a, <laughs> as, uh, as the book Jesus Manifesto says, we now have a live-in relationship with him. He lives in us. He lives in us. He lives in us. The closest people in your life more than likely live under your roof. Closest people to you, people you live with. He lives with you, man. He lives with you. Because he wants to. You ever think about that? I mean, he moved in with you. <laughs> think about that. He moved in with you. Wow. Wow. Father, as we stand before you tonight, we thank you for the things that you have taught us in the recent past about humility, the things that you've taught us, sir, about submitting ourselves to you, about understanding the tremendous power and authority that you have over our lives. Father, you're the potter, we're the clay, but we also know that you are infinitely more to us than a potter and we're infinitely more to you than a lump of clay. Because, Father, you have made us one with yourself through the blood of Jesus because you created us for fellowship with you and sin broke that fellowship but Jesus came as a solution to the sin so that we can now be restored Father help us connect with the heart that was captured in Philippians chapter 3 from the Apostle Paul Lord may we respond with our own individual determined purpose to know you and to make you known in this world. May we look at the things in our life not from the basis of whether they're wrong or right, whether we can do it and still go to heaven, but Father, may we begin to examine the different aspects of our lives and may we decide whether or not those things should stay based upon whether they add to our fellowship with you or they take away from it. Lord, if we'll let you help us make some progress in those areas, then we will sure make some progress in all the other areas of our lives. Father, as we consider the week ahead, our prayer is that you would use us in ways that would make a difference in the lives of other people. 
Father, that you would show us a situation this week that we need to get involved in. Maybe you need to show us some that we don't need to get involved in, but Lord, show us some individual's life, some situation, Lord, that we can get involved in, and by our getting involved in it, we just got you involved in it. And you make the difference, Lord. You make the difference. Father, thank you for supplying all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Thank you, Father, that our needs are met. And so, Father, as we pray this week, if needs come to mind, we just simply thank you for meeting them. And we choose instead to spend our time in prayer desiring you and not just what you can do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Let your light shine this week. Men, see your good works and glorify Father in heaven. We love you. Thank you again for being here on a Sunday evening.